Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father and Creator, we listen to the sound of the wind in the trees and it reminds us of the wind of your Spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning. And that brings us, your very breath, within the life of Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, You are seated at the right hand of the Father, true God from true God. You are begotten and not made. Lord, you have redeemed us. You have entered our suffering. You have entered our sin. You have entered our death, and you have overcome our death. You have overcome our sin. And you, Lord, are the healer of all suffering. We look forward to the day when you will wipe away every tear from every eye. That day is not yet. And so we long for that day. And we, say, and we say, come soon, Lord Jesus, come soon. And Lord, would you draw us together? Would you speak to us, Almighty God, and open up our hearts to hear your voice, to respond to you with faith and love? Carry our burdens for us, Jesus, and with us. And make us the community that you have called us to be. And we pray in your powerful name. Amen. Well, the uh, last couple of weeks at Mosaic, we have had quite an experience. Two weeks ago, we opened up some time for lamentation and listening to the Spirit. And last week, we opened up time to share about that experience, but also about our experiences of racial injustice in our world. And um, the news has been heavy. And we, we've heard this morning about how our dear brother Norm is like at the heart of the news this week in a way that uh, nobody would ever want to be. And if you've been following the news, you know that there were, I think, 751 more graves, unmarked graves found at the Kawasas First Nation in Saskatchewan. And so we're watching our nation continue to remember and grapple with the great pain of losing the indigenous children during the residential school era. And we're grappling as a nation with that injustice. And so today I wanted to take some time to reflect with you on who we are called to be as Mosaic Church in this kind of time. Because this kind of time is not new. And I I wish I could tell you that the time of suffering will be over soon and the time of easier headlines will come. But that's not, that's not true, and that's not the good news that we actually hope for. Um, we know that uh, there will be more and more news that will break our hearts. There will be more and more situations in our lives that will make us incredibly sad. It will make us angry. It will make us feel threatened. And so we don't look for easy solutions or naivete. That doesn't help anybody. 
But Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He did die and rise from the dead. And in his death and resurrection, he offers us, as his people, hope. I think it's Andrew's And he actually calls us and creates us as the church to be that kernel of light and hope that is a sign of the beautiful kingdom of God that Jesus announced when he came. The kingdom of God that Jesus will completely uh, consummate is the word when he comes again. That all the world will be made new when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And our history as Mosaic Church goes back to the life of Jesus, right? That when Jesus was on this earth, one of the key signs that he established from the very beginning was that he called together 12 apostles, 12 disciples. People that should never have been learning from any rabbi and who should not have been learning together in the same class as each other. Because they would have hated each other. They were people on opposite sides of political divides, on opposite sides of religious divides. The, my favorite example of this is that you've got Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, who are all fishermen. They're small business owners, right? They own their, they own their boats. They do business by uh, catching fish in the morning and then selling it as fast as they can before it goes bad. They deal with cash. And you know who loves cash? The tax collectors. The tax collectors want to take the cash. And so what does Jesus do? He tells the fishermen, stay away from the tax collectors. They want to rip you off. And he never lets a tax collector into his community. No, he doesn't. He goes to a tax collector and he says, you. You who are sitting at the tax office right now. Who probably are the very one that these guys hate. You come and follow me and be my disciple. And he took those guys who are on opposite sides of everything you could imagine, and he made them his followers, his community, the community that learned to live as he lived and to do the work that he was doing. And you can talk about some of his followers. Likely some of them were political radicals people who were willing to take up arms to overthrow the Romans. And so how much more would they hate a tax collector? And how much more would they even be a threat to the small business owners, right? Like nobody should have gotten along. But these are the people that Jesus said, come and follow me, come be with me, and I will give you authority to go out, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. The very work that Jesus was doing, they were authorized and empowered to do as his followers. And that community, that community is the sign of the kingdom of God, the community where Jesus is king, where his healing, his teaching, and his power are revealed. And that is the beginning of the church. When the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus' followers after Jesus dies and rises again, the church is filled with power from on high, and they continue on the work. Though Jesus is not physically in body with them, they continue to do the miracles that he did, to proclaim his kingdom, to demonstrate his power. And the amazing thing is that now the community is even more radically diverse because now you have Jews and Gentiles joining this community. As the scriptures are very clear, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. 
All of the different ways that people labeled each other in Jesus' time, Jesus in his community gives them a deeper identity where he is all. He is the one who is alive. He is the one to whom they belong. He is their king. And he lives in them. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they live his life. He lives in them. They do what he does. So the kingdom that Jesus started, this kingdom of justice, God's justice, this kingdom of radical reconciliation is only possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only possible. But because Jesus died and rose again, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church, this community is a reality. The community that lives out God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. Now we know how much we fall short of that, and we know how much the church throughout history and around the world falls short of that. But it still is true that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, that he, that the Father has poured out the Holy Spirit through Jesus, and that the church is empowered and called to embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. And so if you fast forward a couple thousand years, you've got the ministry of Pastor David here in London. Mosaic started just uh, about ten and a half years ago. And the reason why Mosaic started was because Pastor David had a vision of God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation that was different than what the big churches, dominant culture churches in London, are able to live out. Pastor David understood that in a big church that follows dominant culture norms here in Canada, certain people will not be able to offer their gifts and certain people will not be developed in the faith. They will not get to know Jesus because of the limitations of a dominant culture context. And in particular, Pastor David was aware that newcomers to Canada, black youth, and people coming from marginalized, marginalized or, or difficult economic backgrounds would have a hard time in a dominant culture church using their gifts and being discipled. Because what you have to do in a dominant culture church is you've got to adapt to the dominant culture. And if you can't adapt successfully, people may not recognize your gifts. It's just a reality. And it's a difficult reality. And it's a reality that you can analyze on five or ten different levels, right? And say, well, is some of that just cultural difference? Yep, some of that's cultural difference. Is some of that racist? Quite possibly. Is some of that just limited leadership? Yes. Every community, every community of Christians has those realities at work in us. And so we got to grapple with that. But Mosaic was started so that, particularly, newcomers to Canada living in Northeast London, black youth, and marginalized people in Northeast London could come and use their gifts and be discipled and grow in this beautiful kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's justice and reconciliation. And so we, we normally have met at Louise Arbor French Immersion School, which used to be Ross Secondary School. Why? Why did we meet there? Because... People in Northeast London do not have access to cars. And so if you want to be a church that invites them into this beautiful life of God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation, you've got to be a church that they can walk to. You've got to be a church that's on the transit line. You've got to be a church that's easy to get to. And so Mosaic was located there for a long time. 
And why would you walk into a place and have all of the chairs just be there? Like, why, why, would, the churches, why would the chairs be on one level? Why not, like, put the band up on the stage and, and, um, and, and have everybody kind of look up all the time? Because that tells people that the people on the stage are more important than everybody else. And so Mosaic met with everybody on the level, everybody on the same playing field. When, when Kimberly and I were new at Mosaic, there were um, hand, hand percussion instruments that people would hand out, right? And the kids could have the percussion, anybody. You didn't have to have rhythm to have, to have the percussion in your hand. And so people could just participate, right? Why do we have testimony time? Why do we have testimony time? Because the community needs to be able to speak. And we believe the Holy Spirit speaks through the people in the community. People have words of encouragement to offer. Why do we have hosts? Why doesn't the pastor do everything? Because this is a place where people are, like our church was started for the purpose of having people use their gifts. And so when I came into Mosaic, I tried to continue on that spirit. The reality is that when I came, uh, not everybody understood why David had done what he had done in starting Mosaic. Not everybody understood the value of making space for people to use their gifts and what it takes to help people own their gifts and to offer their gifts. There are some real challenges. But I tried to give away the best gifts that I had to the people that David had a heart for and that I have a heart for. And you can look at the way that I spent my time over the last six and a half years and you can see who did, who did Pastor Andrew lead Bible study with? Who did Pastor Andrew spend time mentoring? Who did Pastor Andrew spend time coaching? And it's very much trying to live out that same calling that God gave to Pastor David in the beginning. We are called to embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. Now, there are a couple of things that were at work in our church that I think we all need to understand uh, because they're difficult. They are barriers to us uh, actually living out God's call. One of them is that we are uncomfortable with power. Uh, and, I, and I'll own that. Power is a difficult thing. And what, what I mean by that is uh, we don't want to manipulate other people. We don't want to tell other people what to do, right? And so what that means is, so if, you, if, you're in, if you're in a community of people who are actually shy about power, does that mean that power is absent? No. There's a lot of power but it makes everybody nervous, right? And one of the realities here in Canada is that if you show up at a church where uh, there's not really any formal leadership, but there are a lot of white people and the white people are well-educated, the, 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 the natural center of social power in that church, everybody coming in will think those white people are the center of the church. Now, if those white people don't want to be the center of the church, and they don't want that power, what happens? Then nobody experiences confidence. Nobody will actually learn to exercise power. Because it's not true that there's a power void in that situation. It's not a vacuum. There is power. People are looking at the white people and saying, you guys run this place. And the white people are saying, no, we don't, 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 don't. 
But unless they can powerfully say, we give away our power to you, they will remain the center of power and insecurity. And that's frightening. That creates an environment where people cannot work together, where people cannot actually, cannot release the gifts in other people. If you've got a bunch of folks at the center who everybody recognizes, you guys make decisions, you guys belong here, and, but those folks are, are saying, don't look at us, don't give us that responsibility, then we can't go anywhere. It's very, very difficult. And that's part of our history at Mosaic. That's difficult. The second thing is that our, our history is actually, it, it continues to blow people away. So I, I had this conversation with George Johnson uh, a week and a half ago. And you know, George is a Choli, so he's part of the, he, his family comes from South Sudan, part of the Acholi people group. And what George was saying was that his friends, so the Acholi folks over in Kitchener, they look at, uh, at the people from London, the Acholi community from London, and they say, how do you guys have friends who are Eritrean, Ethiopian, Congolese? How do all these people hang out? How is it that when you guys are, are, are having a party, you are all chilling together? Why is that? Because apparently over in Kitchener, the Acholi people just hang out by themselves in the Acholi group. And then the, the Habesha people, the Eritreans and Ethiopians and Somalis, they, they hang out in their own groups and the Congolese stay to each other. And so those folks know that here in London, there's a community of African young adults who are all friends. And they're like, how is that happening? How is that possible? And do you know the answer to that? The answer to that is the youth group that Pastor David ran, which, was, which, which is what Mosaic grew out of. When a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, Caucasian young adults who had had amazing camp experiences and youth group experiences from North Park and from other churches, they got together and they rocked it. They ran an awesome youth group for all these newcomer youth in, in, in Northeast London. And so all those youth came up through elementary school, high school, and they bonded. They had great times and they loved their leaders. And to this day, they still will show up for each other's parties. One of them just got engaged recently and people showed up to celebrate him because they're friends, right? And that's, some, that's a sign of the power of the kingdom of God. Except, except that a lot of those relationships are now dissipating. They're stretching out. They are drifting apart because those young adults did not receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not experience for themselves the transforming presence of Jesus in their lives when they were part of that youth group. They had, like their youth leaders poured their lives into them and it's amazing. But there was, there was, a, there was a lack. There was something missing around the life of the Holy Spirit and these young adults receiving the gospel of Jesus powerfully. So that now... They care about each other, but the, but the engine to keep on loving each other, to keep on drawing close to each other, that engine has grown weak. So in our history, we have this beautiful calling to embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation in Northeast London. And there are signs that that happened. But we have a history of being uncomfortable with power. And we have a history also of being around folks who don't pick up the Holy Spirit. They don't pick up the life of Jesus 
in relationship with us. The third thing that's very difficult for us is that we are people who have experienced immense trauma. We have experienced immense trauma. And part of that is rooted in the unique stories of our own bodies, our own families, and our unique family histories. But part of that trauma is also rooted in the history of racial trauma here in North America. We know, theoretically, that injustice is as bad for the oppressor as it is for the person who is oppressed. We know that theoretically. It's actually true in our bodies. When we, when we uh, commit injustice against other people, we scar our own bodies, we scar our souls. And right now, when, when we get the news that more and more indigenous children's bodies are being found, there is, there's not just trauma for those who, who lost their children. There is trauma for the people who said, hey, Canada is a just country, it's a good country. And, and, and yet, the, the, what we enjoy today is built on this foundation of gross injustice. There is incredible pain for everybody. And so what do you do with that? Because I, as a pastor coming into Mosaic, walking with this community, could see these realities, right? I could see, okay, here's some people who are having a hard time working together and, and sharing power and owning the power that they have and giving that power away. I see that. And I'm working on that in my own life. What's going to happen there? Here are folks who are not comfortable with the power of the Holy Spirit and who don't have a common language of the Holy Spirit. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Because people need to learn to trust God, right? People just got to learn to trust God. Can I just tell you, hey, trust God more? Is that going to work? How do I walk with you in such a way that you learn to trust the presence of the Holy Spirit. But then also, when we carry such burdens of trauma, all of us, how do we address the sources of that trauma in a way that does not put people into the ground? These are the challenges that I've faced. And so here at Mosaic, in the midst of that, <laughs> these are the things that I can tell you we have done as a church. Number one, we began to build an organizational structure that could help us embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. Now, that sounds super boring, I am sure. But stop and think about it. How on earth do we live out reconciliation and justice if the people who are all affected by that reality are not sharing decision-making power. What happens if it's just one side of that power imbalance that are always making decisions for others? What happens if it's only the white people that get to make decisions about what the church believes and how the church worships? In that situation, are we actually living out this reality that the Spirit has been given to all and we are all one body? No. And if the white people are saying, well, we want, to, we, want to, uh, we want to embody this reconciliation, great. Well, how do we do that? We've got to learn to share leadership. We've got to learn to discern together what is true. And we've got to learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit together. And so we began to build, the, sorry, and that means we've got to build organizational structures 
where people from different backgrounds who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are seeking God's kingdom with humility and with integrity, where they can be partners, where they can share power, grow in discernment together, and follow the Holy Spirit's leading together. So if you look at our elders team, and you look at who's on that team, I hope that you see that each of those people is alive in the Holy Spirit and faithful to Jesus Christ, because that's true about them. I hope you also see that those people are all cross-cultural bridge builders, that they are people who have a history and are practicing giving away the gifts that they have been given by God to people who are not like them. And I could tell you beautiful stories about how each of the elders does that. These are people who strive to keep the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, even when there's conflict, even when there's real challenge. These are people who put their faith in Jesus. And you'll see that they are people who are not just all white men, right? We've got Norm as our chair. Uh, we've got Gloria Jones as an elder. And we've got Caitlin Garnitis as an elder. And if you go around our teams and think about who is leading our teams, why are they leading our teams? Taffy and Marcy are leading our community development research group. Why? Because they're seeking the kingdom of God. We trust them. We trust the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. That community, the, the research group, was started by, by Caitlin. And then as she transitioned out, the, Taffy and Marcy both stepped forward and were confirmed by that team, saying, yeah, we want to follow you. And so they have real responsibility to, to, to help us as a church dream about God's kingdom coming in our context, to, to, to lead us into ways that we can live that out together. Think about Corey and Gloria leading the worship team. Think about the way that we, um, the way that they share the leadership of that team, the way that they share choosing songs. These are things that you don't necessarily know week by week. You show up, we sing the songs, okay, right? But Gloria and Corey model this kingdom of God and the way that they listen to each other, the way that they pray together, the way that they choose to trust each other. And we experience the power of the Holy Spirit when they lead us. And they are, the, they are able to come to me just as the people on the elders team or on, uh, or from the community development group. They can come to me and say, hey, Pastor Andrew, there's something we got to deal with here. And that's actually what happened. That's why we had uh, the open conversation last week with the tables. Because after the lamenting time, Corey and Gloria came to me and said, doesn't feel like the lament, the lament is done. Seems like we opened up something and we got to go deeper. And I trust the leading of the Holy Spirit in Gloria and Corey. And so we as a church got to experience the conversation last week. So that structure of elders and team leaders is a way that we practically as a church discern God's leading through the diverse voices, the diverse people that are here. And there is real, real responsibility and real power given to each of those bodies. And that's not all the teams. Anybody that's on a team, prayer team, um, we need more teams. The point of teams is that they, that's where people grow. People get to follow Jesus together. They get to influence the life of the church together. They get, get to use their gifts and they're being discipled. So that's one thing. So we set up a structure that would help us embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. The second thing is... Uh, that in this la over the last few years, as I mentioned earlier, I have made my, the priority in terms of my use of time 
to be spending time giving my gifts and faith away to mainly black young adults, along with some white young adults who are bridge builders. And part of that is just like, I know the gifts that I've been given, and they don't get given away through workshops. They don't get given away by putting a video up online. It's by walking with people, by saying, hey, let's read the Bible together. What is God saying to you right now? By hopefully communicating to people week in and week out, I trust that God is alive in you. I trust you to be a follower of Jesus. I trust who you're becoming. And I want, you to be, I want to do what I can to help you become all that God has called you to be. Now, you can recognize that a lot of the people that I spent my time with over the last few years don't show up on Sunday. Or don't show up on Saturday, depending on when we worship. Did you know that Mosaic is still their church? It is. Mosaic is integral to, the life, to their life of faith. But why don't they come on Sunday? I don't know. Haven't figured that out. Maybe we can figure that out together. The other thing is that um, I do believe that the, the center of spiritual power is the scriptures, prayer, and then love and the humility that comes from walking with Christ. So it's very important to me that I teach other people to interpret the scriptures well. Because I do believe that the scriptures are the word of God and that when people actually wrestle with the scriptures in their own context, God speaks and God will rebuke the powers and principalities that are in rebellion against him through the scriptures. He will do that. And if you think about how the community development group works, they, each time they meet, they, they, they spend some time listening to the scriptures and they respond in prayer. When we actually know how to handle the word of God, friends, something amazing happens. We actually then have, um, like when we as a community have the lived experience of people who have suffered and we have the scriptures and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, then what we have is a, um, is a test. We can hear theology. We can hear ideas coming at us from different parts of the world and be like, no, that doesn't make sense. That right there, what we're hearing out there, is actually not trustworthy. Why? Because we know how to read the scriptures. And this, we, have, we have read the scriptures not in some way that somebody else told us, hey, like this is what they already mean, but the scriptures are alive in our lives, in our suffering, in our context. And that gives us vision and hope and, and a life with God that, is, that actually is very powerful. And so that's, that's why I've spent a lot of my time walking through Bible studies with people and saying, hey, this is how I've learned to do it. If it works for you, use it. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Learn another way. But you got to learn to engage the scriptures. Because God's justice will grow in a community that listens deeply to his voice in the scriptures. So, in terms of building our church structure, in terms of using my time, and then in terms of, uh, and this one's probably, this one feels the weirdest to me. Uh, when, when you think about how I prepare sermons here at Mosaic, 
I try to go out of my way to listen to theological voices that are not from my own home base, if that makes sense. Some of them are historic voices. Some of them are people who are alive today who are writing. But I try to get outside of the European male theological stream. Not because they're all wrong. They're not. It's actually a major logical fallacy to say, I'm not going to listen to you because of who you are. That never works in any circumstance. But to say that I know that tradition, I was raised in that tradition, I have a master's of theology in that Eurocentric tradition. And so I've got to expand my reading. I've got to expand my learning. and I've got to learn from other people. And so when you hear me speak on a Sunday or Saturday, you're hearing whatever bubbles up out of my spirit that comes out of that broader learning and out of being mentored by people who, uh, who are not, uh, who don't look like me. So that's some of what, some of how I've sought to live out the calling that's ours as a church. But what I want to say to you today is not, it's, this is not about me telling you, hey, look, I've done a great job. Trust me more. You all trust me. I, this is not about that. Nor is it about me <laughs> perpetuating a white savior mythology because I'm not your savior. It's really not what it's about. What I want to say to you now is I want to take those three barriers that we've encountered as a church and I want to say to you, we need God to take us into a new day with them. We have had a, a history of being uncomfortable with power. God, do you remember in Ephesians? Those of you who were studying the book of Ephesians with us on, Monday, on Wednesday evenings, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is that they would know the power of God. The power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the power that Paul prays that the church would know and that they would have power together with all God's people to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ, that they might be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. Power is not a problem if that power is the power of the risen Christ who laid down his life for us. So I want to say to you as clearly as I can to all of you here, you need to own the power that God has given you. The power of Jesus Christ in your body and in this community. If you have formal, a formal leadership position here in Mosaic, if you're a team lead, an elder, or if you know that you're a person of influence without positional power, without, without a title, understand that you do have power. That power is a gift to you from others. You don't actually get to, to, to determine how much you have. Other people get to determine that. But what you do get to do is to own the power that God has given you and to use it as Jesus himself is alive in you. So I want to say to you again, own the power that you have. You have the power of the living God within you. You have the trust of a community of people who love you. You, in your partnerships and relationships, you are free to, to seek to embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation as the Spirit leads you and in unity and harmony with other people here at the church. Own that power and know that that the point of our church is to, is to be a place where all people can share that power together, the power of God together. And so the more that you own that power, the more that you can help other people own the power that God has given to them, to own the gifts that the Spirit has given to them, to use the gifts that the Spirit has given to them 
You can do that. So I want to say to you again, own the power of Jesus that has been given to you here in the church. The second thing is, we desperately need more and more the life of the Holy Spirit in our church. We have, I mean, even this past week, I didn't know that Norm was going through a crazy week like he's just been through. Um, And that breaks my heart. I mean, that's an awful week to have to go through. I was in touch with a few other situations that were all heartbreaking, where it seemed like people's lives are in impossible situations where there is no hope. But friends, if we let the sadness and the faint-heartedness win the day, then... (laughs) I mean, God is still merciful, but we just we will we will we will wallow in a, for a long time if sadness and faint-heartedness win the day. We need the Holy Spirit of God to come into our chaos to make it life-giving, as He did in the beginning. Right? The Spirit of God hovered over the waters and took that death mass of chaos, and over time, the Spirit of God made that the beautiful sky that declares God's glory and made that into the beautiful ocean full of life. The Spirit of God takes chaos, transforms it into life-giving order. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be comfortable in the life of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the reason why We've been doing Lexio Divina as a church. It's part of, reason, part of the reason why we've been talking about hearing God in Ephesians. It's part of the reason why we opened up time to listen to the Holy Spirit two weeks ago, to respond with lamentation. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit. Third thing, we need to prioritize our healing. We have to recognize the opportunity that God is giving us to prioritize our healing. There's a very, very common phrase in the therapy world, which is this. Hurt people hurt people. That means that people who have been hurt will often pass on that hurt to other people. Hurt people hurt people. And friends, in this time when we are experiencing the trauma of the racial injustice that has been woven into our world for hundreds of years, when our own families are filled with particular narratives of pain and suffering that create incredible wounds within us. Jesus is still the one who is the healer. He is the one who is saying to us that there is healing in him. And when it comes to, when it comes to pursuing God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation, it's really important to recognize that Jesus' justice was as much about healing people and making them whole. Jesus' justice was as much about healing people and making them whole as it was about tearing down the systems and the structures that were keeping people from becoming whole. These things have to come together. Jesus tore down and criticized the structures that were harming people, and he also made people whole, physically, spiritually, entirely. So we need to prioritize our healing because the, God's kingdom of reconciliation and justice is a kingdom where people are made whole and they're healed. So what does that mean? Well, what it has meant for me as your pastor is that I have had to slow down. I have had to slow down certain times. 
And, I'll, and I will freely admit, there are times where I've just been nervous and afraid. I'll be like, if we really talk about racial injustice right now, will, is this just gonna hurt everybody? Are we gonna, are we gonna open up something that is just going to, to darken people with discouragement and despair? But there are also times where I've seen in our church community very clearly that it is not time to talk about the racial injustice because our pain is too powerful. Because it is safer, because for, for many of us, it feels safer to live in a community that talks more about being colorblind than it is to be in a community that wrestles with racial injustice. That's reality. And we can't speed up. We can't choose the pace of healing in our own hearts. And so I, as, as your pastor, have had seasons where I've thought, okay, God, I don't know what the next step is because we are hurting. And I don't know your pace of healing, God. I don't know it. And so for all of us, white, black, in between, all of the things, we all have the opportunity to consider what our healing looks like in this next season. There are two particular tools that have come my way in the last few months I want to tell you about. Number one is um, Pastor Binyam from New Jerusalem Church. He's Eritrean, their Pentecostal church. He went through a program called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. It's a program designed for the African context by a broad consortium of therapists and, and spiritual leaders and organizational leaders. And it was, he went through it with a, a lot of Eritrean pastors from different places. And they just learned helpful ways to talk about the trauma of their life so that they could experience some healing. That tool is called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. I've asked some therapist friends to review it, and they say, yeah, it's, it seems like it's a trustworthy tool. That is something that we could do as a church. We could take a couple of months, learn the tool, and learn how to be a healing presence to one another. Because, as I say, trauma is not just for some people. It is everywhere in our society. And there needs to be, well, God is giving us the opportunity to learn how to receive healing and to be a healing presence. The other one is a book that I'm just going to walk back here and get for you. This book was recommended to me very recently by uh, Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Uh, she's been helping me navigate this season of my life. It's been a real gift to work with her. And uh, this book is called My Grandmother's Hands. It's called Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. This was published in, I think, 2017. So it takes a lot of the more recent learning about trauma healing and, um, and just walks you through understanding what racial injustice has done to our bodies and how we can learn to relate to our bodies and to that trauma. I've begun to read it and work through it. I'm looking forward to it because as they say there, and it's very true, it's not just those who have been the receivers of racial discrimination who have suffered trauma. It's all of us in this continent where racial injustice goes back so far. So we need to prioritize our healing. So 
let me just paint a couple of pictures about uh, what our next steps may be. And I'm, and I'm doing this, imagine this conversationally. Because one of the things that I know is that if I, given who I am, if I drive a process with us as a church, without you all giving me feedback and, buy, and, and you all discerning with me if the Spirit is leading us this way, um, it, could, it could end badly for folks. So we can take a tool like healing the, healing the wounds of trauma and go through that as a church. You can read a book like this and, and continue your own personal journey. Those are good options. When it comes to our teams, our teams need to be safe places, and they are. Our teams are places where people genuinely care for each other, where people genuinely uh, want to listen to each other. They genuinely want to follow the leading of the Spirit. But our teams are also places where there is unbelievable power and potential that can be unleashed. Jesus formed this community to be an expression of his kingdom, kingdom of justice and reconciliation. In the way that we do our music, in the way that we structure our service, in the way that we uh, gather, we can grow in that together, right? We can choose songs that, that exalt Christ as the one who has defeated all the powers of darkness. We can choose prayers. We can choose testimonies that proclaim Christ as the reconciler. We can, we can grow in a way as a church where when newcomers come, they, they enter into a safe place where people understand that they've got to work at their own pace. And it's okay for them to work at their own pace. But where there's also a generous invitation for them to use their gifts, to be known, for the things that are crushing them, to be understood by other people, right? Right, if a newcomer comes in and they, they think, oh man, this church is all about racial injustice, but I don't experience that. What I'm experiencing is this legacy of abuse in my family. I don't think this church is for me. That's a problem, right? But if a person comes in and knows that this is a, this is a community of people who are familiar with suffering and who know God's presence in the midst of suffering and who create space to receive Jesus, to receive his word, to receive his hope and his healing in time, this could be an incredible safe place for people to, in, to, to experience the grace of God and the healing of God. We can learn that together so that all of our gatherings, whether we're here, whether we're over back at Louise Arbor or if we're at Hillside, so that people can come and know this is a safe place for them. They belong here. Jesus is here. He is Lord and he's good. When we think about how we pray, when we think about what we do in the neighborhood, we want to we wanna always be thinking about how do we embody God's kingdom of justice and reconciliation. And so I want to say to you again, we are called to embrace the power that God has given us as leaders, as just members of the church. We are called to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are called to, make, to take every opportunity to receive healing so that we can give the gift of healing. And that's basically what I wanted to say to you today. Let's pray. Almighty God, Mosaic Intercultural Church London is your idea, not our idea. We thank you for the vision that you gave to Pastor David when he recognized the barriers to people's service and discipleship in big dominant culture churches. And God, we, we just confess that we also 
have barriers within us that we need you to change so that we will be massively transformed by the power of your spirit so that your kingdom of justice and reconciliation finds expression here more and more. God, I pray that you would inspire us with hope. And I pray that you would give us faith to embrace the power that you've given to us, that you would make us good stewards of that power, that we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, where we need healing, would you come and lead us into it? We know you're our healer, God. We know that in the stripes of Jesus Christ, all creation is healed. But God, we still hurt. And our wounds are powerful. And the wounds in this land are powerful. We need to see the healing power of Almighty God in this land and in our own bodies and in our church fellowship and in Northeast London. So God, we're asking, would you bring that about? We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Mosaic Church London.